You are listening to the Life Church podcast. To learn more about Life Church, our gathering times at any of our central Indiana locations, or our Life Crew online, visit us at lifechurchin.com or follow the link in the description. Today's talk is from Pastor Nathan Peternell. Well, how are you? You look good. Hey, get out your Bible. Go with me to 2 Samuel chapter 7. And uh, while you're turning there, could we just give a big warm welcome to our online campus that's, that's uh, here with us today. It's great to have you joining us online. And for those of you who are watching on Channel 40, welcome. It's, it's great to be in your living room today. And uh, I have a story to tell you. I'm not sure if it's a true story or not, uh, but it's a good story nonetheless. Uh, it has to do with Arnold Palmer. Uh, now, any golf fans in here? Do you have any golf fans? Okay, so Arnold Palmer grew up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, where I'm from. And, uh, and you know, he's kind of a, a legend all over the world, but in Pittsburgh, we're pretty proud that he came from there. And I, I actually had a relative who used to play in golf tournaments with Arnold Palmer. Um, and he would beat Arnold Palmer on the first half, the first nine. And then he would lose on the last half. And he said the difference was Arnold Palmer could handle the pressure and my relative could not, right? But there's this great story about him uh, that he gets called by an, uh, an Arab king. And the Arab king says, would you come to my country and play golf with me? And he says, yes. So he goes over to this country. He's playing with this king. They have a great time. They play the whole, the whole day together. And he said, Listen, I'm so honored that you came all this way to play golf with me, and I would like to give you something. What do you like? And Arnold Palmer said, oh, no, King, it is not necessary that you do anything for me. It was just an honor to play with you. I enjoyed it. Thank you for having me to your country. He said, listen, the king says, listen, in my country, we give gifts, and if you don't allow me to give a gift... It, it, it's not okay. I have, I, I want to give you something. I really need to do it. He says, what do you like? And Arnold Palmer says, you know what? I like, I like golf clubs. He says, uh, you know, and, and Arnold Palmer is famously known for his amazing collection of putters. Like you could go into his house and just from, from the ceiling to the floor, it's just every kind of putter you can imagine. And, and so the king says, you got it. He says, uh, I'll, I'll, uh, I'm just so thankful that you came. So Arnold Palmer goes home to Pittsburgh. He tells his, he tells his wife, I don't know if it was Pittsburgh at this point or whether he had moved away, but he says, he says uh, I expect a package. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to get a golf club from, from this king. And so... Uh, you know, he just goes about his life, and one day his wife calls him and says, hey, that package from the king came in, you know, uh, but it doesn't look like what you think it does. And he goes, what are you talking about? So he runs home, and then when he gets home, he, he notices that the box is not long and thin the way that he imagined the box was going to be. Instead, it was a different, it was a package. It was, it was like a, almost like a manila envelope type thing. And so he opens it up because the king did not give him a golf club. The king gave him a golf club. He gave him a resort. 
The moral of the story is kings give differently than normal people. And really, it's a great story to, as, as we rehearse what Pastor Mike, Pastor Mike had just had a great message last week, and I was so grateful that it fell on the 4th of July, because he talked about building a house, that, you know, David wanted to build a house for the Lord, and the Lord said, you want to build me a house? I'm so honored, David, like, like, wow, thank you for wanting to build me a house, but I'm God. I'm like the dad in this relationship. I build you a house. And so what happened is, is that he's saying, I'm going to build you a house. I'm going to give in a, in a way that's not normal. And David's a king. David knows how to give big gifts. But God is the king of all of heaven and the earth. He gives differently. He says, you want to give, you want to make for me a house, but I'm going to make for you a house, and I'm going to make it so that, you, that someone from your house is going to sit on the throne forever. Now, David is kind of looking at this story, the, you know, he's, he's looking at what God said um, two ways. He's looking at it in the natural before him, and then how many know that there's, there's more than the natural in like a prophetic word? Sometimes a prophetic word is something that's right before you, and then a lot of times it has a component that goes much, 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 much further out than we could possibly imagine. Well, in this, the great, the great person that is going to come through David's lineage and is going to be called the son of David is no less than God himself when he comes and rules and reigns it to Jesus. So this is a throne that's never going to ever fail, and the one who sits on it is going to sit on it forever and ever. That is a totally different way to give. God looks at your heart and what you desire to do for him. That's really what happened. David just has this thought. Man, God, I, you want to do something you know, you've done all these great things for me. I want to do something for you. And God says, oh, look, if you want to give like that, I'm going to give in a way that only a God could give. So where we actually are going to look today is in David's prayer. It's how he's hit emotionally and spiritually through God's unbelievable gift to him. And I got thinking about this passage Coming up on August 13th is we're going to celebrate the 20-year anniversary of Life Church. Yeah, yeah, praise the Lord. And um, you know, Life Church, it started over at our Fisher's campus. Um, let, let me just—I'm going to tell you some stories today, and then we'll relate it back to this passage. And I, I think it'll connect the dots for your own heart and your own life. Um, Life Church was, uh, before it was Life Church, it was called Christian Life Assembly. Uh, there's a little piece of property in Fishers, which we're still on. It's 3.1 acres. It was there before all of those houses were around there. Um, the, the church was actually not started originally as an Assemblies of God church. It, was, it, it had had a number of pastors, a number of big drama things, eventually comes into the Assemblies of God, which is our fellowship. And... And it struggled for a long time. 
It's a man named Tim Martin who was the pastor before me, and Tim, uh, he wanted to plant a church in Fishers, and so he called who was my pastor, who brought me to Indiana from Minnesota, Chrissy and I from Minnesota, and his name's Randy Blankenship. Pastor Randy had become the church planting director for the state of Indiana. And so when Pastor Tim told Pastor Randy that he wanted to start a church in Fishers, Pastor, Pastor Randy said, I'll give you a church in Fishers. It has a building, and it has 20 people. You can have it. If it doesn't work we're going to close it down probably because it had just gone through so much turnover and turmoil. And Pastor Tim and his, and his wife and his, his family came in and began to work that ground. He said, the first thing I did was preach on the baptism in the Holy Spirit and the 20 went down to four. But he was really passionate about evangelism. In fact, in a couple weeks, we're going we're gonna to hit on some messages on evangelism and give you an opportunity to practice that because evangelism was where Life Church began. And it began to grow, a lot of hard work, tons of decisions. People, um, there's, there's people that, were in, that are in this room that was there in the very beginning. And, uh, and, and it began to grow. By the time that I became pastor, uh, you know, the church had actually arrived at a couple hundred at that point, and then Pastor Tim stepped away from ministry, and that's where Christina and I came in to play around 13 years ago. We had one location over there. Uh, there was not really any thought of multiple locations. Um, we, if you've ever gone over to the Fishers campus, it's a weird-shaped building, real weird. Um, and it used to be painted like a piece of cake uh, with pink stripes and everything. And, um, and it's, it actually has three buildings. Uh, not any of them are under one roof. There's 10,000 square feet total. And, and this church began to grow. And, and, and it just continued growing. And we, we got to a point where we were running about 450 people. And we had a Saturday night service. We had two Sunday morning services. And we were just packed out. And so the, the, the thought came of, well, does the Lord want Life Church to keep growing? And, and we, we said, yes, that clearly God wants his house to even be more full than it is right now. And so we thought, well, how do we keep doing that? And so we talked about, do we build a building? Can we build? Can we get land? Do we have the money to go get the land? Land's kind of expensive in this area. There were a lot of roadblocks. And see, if you go back in the history of the church, they had a chance to buy land for about eight dollars to $10,000 an acre, but they didn't do it. But in reality, as I look at it, I'm glad they didn't do it. Because had they done it at that time, we would have never been stuck in a situation where we had to even think about multi-site. We probably just would have built a bigger building and just stayed there in that one location. Well, what happened was um, we, we began to say, how could God grow Life Church differently than, than maybe we were thinking? And we wanted to put an expository preaching, spirit-filled family church that believed in, hey, if you're healthy, God will make it grow. And we want to put that you know, in different communities. So we got looking at where all the people of Life Church were coming from. We did a heat map, and it said that about 22% of our people were coming from Noblesville. And so we began to look around and see we had about ten or $20,000 a month that we were in the black 
that we thought we could invest this into maybe a, a paying rent somewhere or something like that. We were originally thinking of Allisonville Road and, and, and 116th Street, but all the doors closed, and we had some deacons at that at that time built a business model that we thought we could spend up to $800,000. And, uh, and so then the question was, well, where can we find a place like that? And there were a bunch of doors that closed, but the, this property became uh, on our radar. There was a little Assemblies of God church that was uh, meeting in here. It had been larger at one time, but it had decreased down to about 30 people. At that time, there were three Assemblies of God churches in Noblesville, and not any of them ran over really about 30 people. And when this one became available, this little church that was in it was kind of dying, and, and it was called the Worship Center of Hamilton County. And we they found out we were interested in the property. They didn't own the property. Another church owned the property, property, the Church of the Brethren out of Ohio, and they couldn't even really pay rent at that point. So the building had kind of fallen into a little bit of disrepair, but they were holding it. And when they found out that we wanted to plant a church, initially they were upset, but then when they heard the vision, they turned around and said, well, maybe God is in this. And it ended up that 25 of those 30 people ended up coming to Life Church over at Fishers while we were trying to buy this property. And we ended up getting this property for $800,000 to the penny of the business model that we built that we never shared with anyone. How many know the Lord loves the details? And they threw in the $10,000 mower, which we still use, right? So we got the property, and as, and, but it just it, it needed renovated, and we were going through that kind of that season of, of getting it ready, and we had kind of set out trying to find a pastor who could come in as a campus pastor. We're, we had a lot of things that had to change by going to the multi-site approach. And as we were doing that, I went to a meeting that was um, a minister's meeting that we had, and there was a man who was coming to speak at that. His name was Larry Stockstill. Larry Stockstill was down in—he um, was a, a, a great pastor from down south, built a great church, very, very influential man in the south. And uh, so that service was about fathering and mothering and generational, realizing that God wants to 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 to— cause uh, life to happen down the generation for generation after generation. So I went to this meeting, out and, and I hear this man speaking. He says, hey, what we're going to do, the altar call was this. I want you, if you're over the age of 50, I want you to come down to the altar. We're going to lay our hands on you. We're going to prophesy over you and bless you. And then you stand there, turn around, and everyone under the age of 50 is going to come. And you're going you're, you're to lay hands on them and prophesy and and, and you're going to pray for them, pray blessings over them. And so I'm watching all this happen. I'm, I'm about 35 or 36 at that time. And, and I, uh, I, I went to get in line with a man whose name was Johnny Garrison. Now, many of you know Johnny Garrison. He's a great man of God. He was instrumental in us becoming the pastors at Life Church. And I, I thought, if somebody's going to lay hands on me, it's going to be Pastor Johnny. So I went up and got in line for Pastor Johnny. And while I was standing there, um, there was, you know, Larry Stockstill up there, and he's walking back and forth, and he's praying, and he's just kind of walking and praying. And he points at me, and I, and I, 
I felt like I was in trouble. And I, I, I said, me? And he goes, yeah, you come here. And I walked up and I said, yes, sir. And he said, what are you? Are, are, what, what, are you a youth pastor? And I said, I said actually, I'm a, I'm a first-time lead pastor. And he goes, what are you working on? And I said, well, we're, we're working on our first multi-site. And he goes, where is it? I said, well, it's in the city of Noblesville. And uh, he says, how close is that to Indianapolis? And I said, I don't know, 20, 25 minutes. And he goes, I've been praying over this city. God wants to give this city to a church. And I had no idea what that meant. And I go, okay. And, and he said, uh, God wants you to know it's not going to be one location you plant. It's going to be 10 locations. And, and I went, okay. <laughs> and uh, and, and he, he said, move towards the city. And then he prayed over me and blessed our church. And then I went back and got in line for Pastor Johnny. And the thought that went through my head when he said 10 campuses was I, I didn't feel overwhelmed. Now, I know that many of you would think, well, you should have felt overwhelmed. But I didn't feel overwhelmed because the only thing I was concerned about was whether or not that what we were doing in Noblesville was the will of God. And I thought to myself, if it's going to be 10, it has to start with one. And so therefore, I'm going to, I believe that this is a confirmation that what we're doing is the right thing. So I go back and get in line. I'm waiting for Pastor Johnny. Brother Stockstill's walking up and back and forth. He looks at me, points at me, and says, come here. So I walk over to him, and I said, yes, sir. And he says, what are you doing again? And I said, we're working on our first multi-site. He goes, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, uh, you're going to need money. And I, I kind of shook my head, and I thought, I imagine that we will, <laughs> you know, like, and he said, God is going to give you a, he's going to give you favor with businessmen. That intimidated me because I'm not a businessman. I'm a pastor. I, I, I study the word of God, but business is not my strong suit. And I kind of feel like at times when I get around those of you that are business people that you can spot pretty quickly that I don't know how to read all of the charts and graphs that I should be able to read. And you use certain terms, and I have to ask you, what does that mean? <laughs> you know, like, I, I'm not naturally wired that way. And, I, and I, I kind of feel exposed when I'm around people that know that world much better than me. And he said, but see, it's not that God's going to give you money. He said he was going to give me favor with people. See, when God gives you a vision, God gives you the people to come around you that supply things that you can't do. You know, it's not wrong when, you're, when your leaders can, can tell you, I, I have places that I, I know I don't have the gift to pull that off. And so he prayed for me again. I, I went back, got in line for Pastor Johnny. And finally, Pastor Johnny prayed for me. The next day was a, uh, it, was, it was Sunday. So it wasn't the next day, but it was that weekend. And so we were at the Fishers campus, and the room was packed full of people. And I told them that story. I, I told them what the Lord had said. 
And almost as one person, the congregation got up and they broke into spontaneous, it was a standing ovation, and it was like every heart. And some of you were there that day that that happened. And I remember that I, I felt like the Lord told me, this isn't your vision for Life Church, Nathan. This is my vision. And I think everybody knew that. We had always desired to be a church that planted churches. I had no idea the way God would do it. But when that day happened and all of their hearts united around that, that's been the vision ever since. And all kinds of decisions have had to be made that have gone into, okay, how are we going to, you know, do the finances? How do you hire staff? How do you, how do you have a multi-site model considering that we're expository preaching? And like, we didn't know anybody doing it quite the way that we were doing it. And, and it just, it didn't mean that everything was ironed out. It just meant we started asking ourselves totally different questions. And what happened was that vision freed us to think to outthink the box that we thought we would be in. You know, and you look back at it 20, you know, it, that wasn't 20 years ago. That, that was, well, really just the summer before we, or the year before we started this campus. But I look at all of you, and I see that you are the fruit, and you're the fruit of what God dreamed. And our lives have come and intersected together at this church as the house of God. We talk about being the family of God. This word spoken over this group of people, now Life Church has continued to grow. The Lord's given us two more campuses beside in our online campus. Our online campus has about 250 to 300 people each week that join in, and probably the church runs about 1,000 to 1,100 and I see what God has done, and I'm always amazed. Just kind of shake my head. Because I know me. Maybe some of you feel like that. You're like, man, when I look and see what God did with my life, I'm, I shake my head too because I know I'm pretty much a mess. Let's be honest. How many of us, you believe, had not God done a work in your life, you'd be dead right now? Just raise your hand. How many of you have prayed desperate prayers at desperate hours where you didn't know how life was going to take you forward? See, I'm just a blue-collar kid from western Pennsylvania, and I know me. I know the kind of grades I got in school. I know how I cried whenever tests would come up. I know how I frustrated my mother. But I go back and I look at my story. My story goes beyond me. It goes back to my parents and it goes back beyond them. And every one of us should look at our lives and we should stop and think about what got us here. Because we are not standing on our own. We always stand on other people's shoulders. Like, who was the person who explained Jesus to you? Who's the person who led you to the Lord? Who's your spiritual father or mother that made that investment in your life?
See, God is building a house that will stand, but it's been in operation for a long, long time. I think about my dad, Catholic. Catholic kid whose family was religious and devout, and yet they only had a certain level of understanding about who God was. My dad learned to pray every night of his life. He would say his evening prayers in in his bed. But he also did not know what God wanted for him. He knew there was a God, but he didn't know what God wanted for him. He said, in my teenage years, I was utterly confused about life. But he starts to read the Bible, and God starts to, you know, the Bible says if you draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. I I would tell you that my dad was worldly in many, many ways, but the Lord found him. He prayed this one prayer one time. He said, Lord, either you teach me how to live or you kill me. That's a desperate prayer. He said he fully believed he was going to be struck dead right there. And yet the Lord spoke to him and said, okay, Dan, I'll show you how to live. I'm the product of a Catholic who started asking too many questions and reading the Bible. But his decision changed not just my life, but my my siblings' lives. All of us are serving the Lord. My mom. My mom was a German farm girl. Her dad ran a dairy farm with not very many cows. But they were holy cows. And I'll tell you why. Because my mom was so shy when she told her mother that she believed, she was Lutheran, by the way, when she told her mother that God had called her into the ministry, her mother looked at her and said, Kathy, you don't even talk. How are you going to preach? So my mom would go down over the hills to where the cows would be down in the valley, and she would preach to cows. I don't know if their milk tasted better after that. But my mom had a calling that started with cows. And to see what the Lord has done with my family members, and then to to know my own inability, and just trying to follow God step by step, and being struck by my own weakness, I'm more blown away than anyone else about how in the world that God could use me. And it's not... You see, when God wants to use you, he brings people around you that help you to accomplish the vision that the Lord has set in you. And God has put a vision in all of our hearts. When I was a kid, we had this song that we would sing. And it said, don't settle for less than God's best. Believe for more. But the Lord delights to bless. He keeps his promises. Exceeding abundantly, it's his ability. Don't settle for less than God's best. Believe for more. Believe for more. That's what David is getting struck with in this text. He's getting hit with, how could God do this through me? And he's praying a prayer of thanksgiving and joy. And yet he's just blown away. But I want you to get what he says about himself And what he says about God, I'm just going to read this prayer and we're going to close. And then David, 
the king went in and he sat before the Lord. And he said, who am I? Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that thou hast brought me this far? I know the real me. And yet this was insignificant in thine eyes. Lord God, for thou hast spoken also of the house of thy servant concerning the distant future. O Lord God, this is the custom of man. See, God, God has placed dreams and desires inside of your heart that are not meant to sit dormant. God does not give you dreams. He doesn't want to go someplace. And he can see so far out ahead of us. We become overwhelmed by looking in the moment, but God's not overwhelmed at all because he knows how he'll bring it to pass. He sees not just you and your family and your kids, but he sees your grandkids and your great-grandkids. That's, he sees all those generations that flow out of you physically and spiritually. And again, what more can David say to thee? For thou knowest thy servant, O Lord God. I think he's saying, I know I'm the most broken person around. Paul had a way of saying this. He says, I am the chief among sinners. Now, how many know there's a difference between being a sinner in your identity and being a saint in your identity? I think the truest sense is as Christians living on this life, we are sinning saints. We are changed in our identity, and yet we still have a problem. And yet God seems to love to move in the weak and the small. I think about my, my, my uh, house out in Pendleton. I've got these giant trees. It's, it's the squirrel capital of Indiana. I've got hickory nuts. And, and, and a big hickory tree, and I've got all these black walnuts, more than you can ever imagine. And, and I have acorns from an, an enormous oak that has to go 110 feet in the air. And, and all those seeds that I'm constantly having to look at, I'm always reminded that these giant 80 and 100 foot trees start, the very big starts in the very small. And this is God's genius the principle of the seed. He, he shows off his glory in taking small things and doing great big giant things through them. And then you know what else comes with all those nuts? All those squirrels. And I have too many of them, so if you're a squirrel hunter, just call me. Come on over and we'll clear them out. For the sake of thy word and according to thine own heart, thou hast done all this greatness to let thy servant know. Lord, you do these things just to prove how great thou art. For this reason, thou art great. O Lord God, for there is none like thee, and there is no God beside thee. Nobody gives like you do. If an earthly king can give great gifts, how can a divine God give? None is beside you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. 
And then he goes and he looks at his nation. He says, and what one nation on the earth is like thy people Israel, whom God went to redeem for himself as a people and to make a name for himself, to do great things for thee and awesome things for thy land before thy people whom thou hast redeemed for thyself from Egypt, from the nations and from their gods. I love that this fell on the 4th of July weekend last, last week because as a nation, what are we trying to be? What did our founders see in their hearts? I think that they'd be over, they would, they would roll over in their grave in certain ways they see America today. And in other ways, they would be astounded at what she has accomplished in this world. And I do believe in American exceptionalism. But it's God blesses the nation who knows that, that God is their Lord. 247 years, we've done more to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ than any other nation in the history of the world. I believe God's blessing is on our country. But America is not the big, is, is not the big point of the Bible. Israel is. And he's going back to look at the stories. He's going back, even in his thoughts, to go back to Abraham. Remember him? He was, a, he was a polytheist. Multiple gods. And the Lord said, Hey, Abraham, would you like to take a walk with me? Let's go see what we'll do together. And God takes this pagan and reveals himself to him. And then promise, gives him words. The Bible says that Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him as righteousness. But God turns around and says, boy, you believed in me? Here's my blessing upon you. He says, Abraham, through you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. And really, guys, what that means is it means that Jesus would come through his line and Jesus would be the blessing to every nation. It was, it was like one of the greatest promises that could ever take place. And, and, and the story of the Bible is the story of those promises all coming down. And they go right here through David. That this coming blessing, this coming Messiah, Jesus, who would be God himself, who would come and, 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 and take people into freedom and overcome the greatest problems of sin and hell, are gonna be, it's, it's going to come through David's line. We now get more of the direction. The Bible recounts a great story of a great nation, but it started small. It just had his blessing. And it was made to be a blessing. And as it comes down, he says, this is all the people through my line that you have touched. For thou hast established thyself and thy people Israel as thine own people forever. And thou, O Lord, hast become their God. Now therefore, O Lord God, the word that thou hast spoken concerning thy servant and his house, confirm it forever. And do as thou hast spoken, that thy name may be magnified forever. By saying, the Lord of hosts is God over Israel. And may the house of thy servant David be established before you. For thou, O Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, 
has made a revelation to thy servant, saying that I will build you a house. Therefore, thy servant has found courage to pray this prayer to thee. You see, when God tells you he's going to do something, take it to the bank. I'm not telling you that it'll be exactly the way you thought it would go. It'll be better than you thought it would go. It'll be more full, and it will have greater ability to do good in this world than you could possibly imagine. Eye has not seen, nor has ear heard, what God has stored up for those who love Him. And when you have a dream that God put there, Listen, when you let that come to place, it creates courage inside of you. What are you really asking God for? You're asking him to do the very dream he's put inside of you. Is he the the originator of the dream? And if he is, do you think that God doesn't want to see that come to pass? He does. And now, O Lord God, thou art God, and thy words are truth. And thou hast promised this good thing to thy servant. Do you know that today as servants, we're, we're not just called servants. We are servants. But we're more than servants. We're sons. And I even say that to you daughters. Because a lot of times in the Bible, ladies didn't have the opportunity to have ownership of things. But even in that sense, You're called sons. There's nothing that is not given to you also. Now, therefore, may it please thee to bless thy house of thy servant. Would you close your eyes with me? As I read this last verse, I want you to think about your house. And I want you to think about your children. In fact, I even want you to do something else. Would you just reach out your arm to the people that are close to you and just put your hand around their shoulders because we're a house together. Even if they're people, I don't even know these people. That's okay. They're part of your family. Reach over and lay your hand on them. Now, therefore, may it please thee to bless the house of thy servant, that it may, be continue, that it may continue forever before thee, For thou, O Lord God, hast spoken. And with thy blessings, may the house of thy servant be blessed forever. Would you pray over your kids and your grandkids right now, even if you don't have any? If you're here and you're single and you're not married or you're just a young married couple, would you pray over your children? You know that God has great things you don't even know about yet. I know many of you who are older, you long for one thing in this world, that your kids would serve God. And that the line of faith would not be broken. Some of you have a hard time right now seeing that because your kids are far from the Lord. But what the Lord has begun, the Lord will finish 
Pray for the blessing upon their house. Pray that your posterity, both physically and spiritually, would know the mighty, mighty, mighty name of King Jesus and the dreams that are in your heart. Look, there are dreams that are in my heart that they originated in my parents before me. And it may be that a spiritual house is built and they might be foundation stones that are under the ground that nobody may ever know their name. And maybe the same is true of me and nobody will ever know my name. That's okay because here at Life Church, we talk about a concept called being a hero maker. A hero maker is somebody who doesn't care whether you get the glory for it. They just want to see all the glory go to the Lord. And they're fine if you bury them in the ground, if you can build upon their life. God wants to build upon our lives coming together. Lord, bless our homes. Bless our children. Do great and mighty things that we do not know. Lord, cause those dreams to not die, but to come to reality. Lead many people to Christ through the influence in this room. Lord, do more than we can imagine. While you have your heads bowed and your eyes closed, just listen to this. There was a man that was born in 1720. His name was Max Jukes. Max Jukes was an atheist who married an ungodly woman. In 1900, there was an American pastor and educator, Albert Edward Winship, and he wrote a book entitled Jukes Edwards. It was a study in education and heredity. In it, he traced the posterity of two men. One was Max Jukes, this atheist, he studied 540 of his descendants and found that 310 of them died as paupers. 150 were convicted criminals. Seven were murderers, over 100 drunkards, and 190 female prostitutes. But then they looked at a man named Jonathan Edwards who is reported to be one of the great theologians America has ever produced. If you've ever heard of the Great Awakening that honestly led to the founding of America, Jonathan Edwards, they looked at his life. He had 1,394 studied descendants. One became a vice president, three became senators. Three became governors, three became mayors. There were 30 judges, 13 college presidents, 60 physicians, 75 military officers, 100 preachers and missionaries, 60 prominent authors, and 80 other public officials. As we father and mother people into the kingdom of God, stop and consider, and let's treat our wives, our spouses, and let's relate to our children who God is and believe that that is going to affect generations. Amen. For us, for good. 
There are others that allow the enemy to use their life and it will be for evil. But trust me, the goodness of God is going to overpower all the evil of this world. If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to rate us, share with a friend, and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you stream your podcasts. Our mission is simple. Come to life, connect to grow, find your purpose, make a difference. Thanks for listening to the Life Church Podcast.